go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be acquiring that text today, specifically verses 5 through 13. And you might be a little disappointed because we're skipping over verses 1 through 4, but I want to focus on a particular element of Jesus' instruction to us with regard to prayer. And if you saw in the bulletin, the simple title for today's message is Keep Praying. Keep praying because the question is, is what do you do when you are tempted or have yielded to the temptation to leave off prayer, to give up praying? And I trust if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and come up against any kind of difficulty in your life, there are times when it seems as though it's time to leave off prayer. God refuses to listen. He does not hear And so we become discouraged, and Jesus knows this. Jesus knows the temptations will abound for us to give up praying, to leave off prayer. And so in this text, especially in another text in the Gospels, he is going to encourage us to keep praying. And so we are going to look at this text today, verses 5 through 13, and hopefully, I trust, be encouraged to keep praying, especially in the midst of difficulty when we are tempted to leave off prayer altogether. Jesus, the great encourager, comes along and says, keep praying. And he's going to lay out several incentives for us to do that. He's going to give us various encouragements to enable us to continue to keep praying. But we do need to consider the initial context here. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. This is the what has been called the Lord's Prayer. A similar version uh, is, of it is found in Matthew chapter 6. I believe these are probably uh, given on two separate occasions. That's why the wording is a little different. But here Jesus is going to give us a few statements on what should prioritize our prayer. He's not giving us a fixed form that you must repeat uh, in a mantra, as though God would bless mindless mantras being cast up to, cast up to him in heaven. God's, Jesus is not giving us a fixed form. He's giving us what should characterize our prayer life, what should characterize our planned praying to him, to God, the Father. And so he's going to put it this way. It says in verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So what should characterize the prayers of Jesus' disciples? Well, first, it's hallowing God's name. It's revering God's name. It's a desire to see that name hallowed and revered throughout the nations, which is why it would lead you to then say, your kingdom come. God, we desire for your rule to be here on earth in a perfect, glorious, final form. Would you bring your kingdom to come? But we also recognize that we are in need each day of our daily sustenance. And so would you give us our daily bread? And this acknowledges our dependence upon the Lord for all things, including the smallest of things, including our very bread, our very food, our very clothing that we need. But not only that, 
it is given in a spirit of confession. We are confessing our sins regularly to the Lord. We acknowledge that we are sinning even daily, even hourly, even before we stepped into this service. And so we are confessing our sins to God in a spirit of forgiveness. We're not only asking for forgiveness ourselves, but recognizing the forgiveness that we have in Christ. We are praying in a spirit of forgiveness. And in fact, if we refuse to pray in a spirit of forgiveness and we build up and cultivate bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives, the Lord will not hear us. And then finally, we recognize our dependence upon the Lord to be kept away from temptation. Not only are we to seek to keep ourselves away from temptation, but we recognize how helpless we really are to do that. And so we ask God to lead us not in temptation. Would you protect us, Lord? And so these are the priorities that should be weaved throughout our prayer lives in our times of closet prayer. But Jesus is going to add another element to this priority list of prayers. We are to keep praying. We are to pray persistently. We are to continue to pray, to seek, and to ask the Lord. And let me just take a second here. This is not planned. I wrote one word in my notes that says productivity with a question mark. I just want to take a moment here to to speak to us who live in the Silicon Valley, where productivity is the key to life and happiness. Is it not? That we are living in a time and a place where your worth and your joy is found on the discreet accomplishments that you can rack up on your to-do list, on your resume, on your CV, and so on. This is the land of productivity. And if we're not careful, we can get swept up into that kind of thinking and forget that prayer is the most productive thing you can do during the day. Why is that? Because you are accessing an infinite person with infinite resources to act on your behalf. Let us not forget how productive prayer is. All right, that was an aside. Let's let's get into the, the sermon. So how does Jesus encourage us to keep praying? We need encouragement. I need encouragement to keep praying, and you need it too. And Jesus provides it for us in what actually is a delightfully humorous kind of scenario. What he wants us to first do, this is the first encouragement to keep praying. It's first we need to consider the character of God. Now, Jesus is the master teacher, and he is going to illustrate the character of God by telling us a story. And just a reminder to those of us who teach and to preach, if you don't think, if you think you're too spiritual to infuse a little bit of humor into your teaching and preaching, you haven't read Jesus close enough. This is a humorous situation he's about to introduce us to, to show us, to have us consider the goodness and the character of God. What does he do? Well, he he has his uh, disciples consider a situation. He says, and he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get, get up and give you anything. What's going on here? Well, Jesus is saying, reflect on the situation where you are an in need, where you have a friend who's come from a long journey and you're without food. Imagine that situation. Now, in the Middle East at this time, this would have been a serious situation. First of all, food is not in abundance as it is 
as we have it today, where you have a large pantry where you can store up all kinds of food to last you for the next year, right? And so in this setting, this is a serious situation. They bake bread daily for each day's need. And so this person is without that day's bread. They need it because a friend has come perhaps unexpectedly from a trip and now they're there and they need food. And it would have been entirely inhospitable for this person, this friend to not provide bread, food for this traveler. And so he is in a serious situation. His hospitality is going to be undermined and he needs bread. So he goes to a neighbor. He can't go to the local grocer. He can't go to the 7-Eleven. He can't go to the Safeway or the Luckies. He has to go to a neighbor to see if he has any extra food lying around. And so he does. But what happens? He goes to this person and it's late. So his, his, his friend must have arrived late on the journey. He has to scramble around to go find bread. And so what does he do? He goes to his neighbor's door and he knocks and he says, I need bread. And he's not asking for some extravagant gift. He's not asking for something to spend on some sort of fruitless venture. This man is asking for food to give to a visitor. It's a good request. And nevertheless, he's encountered this neighbor who is shut the door and he is sleeping. Now, what makes this situation all the more humorous is in the in, in this time, the most likely the homes had just one big room. And if it had more than one room, at least it was all the people sleeping in one room. So the bedroom was everybody in the bedroom. And not only that, but it was probably everybody in one bed. OK, so you can imagine why the response from inside the house is stop bothering me. Why is that? Because he says, my children are with me in bed. That word for children refers to very small children, infants, small children. So you can understand why, especially parents or those of you who have younger siblings or grew up with younger siblings, you can understand why this is so important for the man inside to say, would you be quiet? I have children with me in the bed. If I move a muscle to get up to help you with your bread, the kids are going to wake up. It's going to be a disaster. We're going to be up till three in the morning putting these kids back to bed. Okay. So this is a matter of inconvenience for this man. He does not want to be disturbed. He does not want to get up and cause a ruckus. Not only that, but it's likely that the door, opening the door would have made a huge amount of noise because of the way they were made, having to remove the the protective bar through the, 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 the links in the door or whatever it might have been. It's going to be loud. It's going to be chaotic. People are going to be awake. The house is going to be awake. Now, in our house... We live on a one-level floor, and I can kind of get what's going on here. I understand what's happening here. We, we live on a one-level house, and we have our room, and across from our room is Colton and Easton's room together, and then Ellie has her own room. Well, because she's the girl, and she's the princess, but she has her own room. And, uh, and so she, uh, and then down the hall further would be the front door. So a ways down the wall, down the hall is the front door. And if Cliff all of a sudden started texting and knocking on the door, saying that he needs tw- two dozen eggs in order to feed his friend who just arrived in town who loves omelets, I'm not going to be particularly excited about it, even though Cliff is a wonderful friend. I, you're waking me up. You're going to wake my kids up. But what will I do? It's similar to what's going to happen here. The man is going to be persistent. The friend is going to continue to knock. And what's going to happen is that the, the neighbor, the friend inside is going to be moved by that persistence. 
the the word translated persistence in your um, your Bibles could also be translated shamelessness. One dic- Greek dictionary uh, defines it like this: it's a lack of sensitivity to what is proper, carelessness about the good opinion of others, ignorance of convention. So this guy who needs the bread doesn't care one rip about convention. He is going to knock on the door. He's going to get that bread. He's going to get that person out of bed to get him the bread because he's in real need right now. And what happens? What happens? Well, his persistence, his shameless persistence, it works. Jesus says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Right. Remember when Cliff's knocking at the door, he's a wonderful friend, but. I don't want anybody knocking at my door at midnight asking for two dozen eggs, right? But I will get up if you keep knocking because if you keep knocking, if my kids aren't up already, they're going to be woken because you keep knocking. So I'm definitely getting up and giving you the two dozen eggs. Same situation here. He's going to get up and help his friend. He is going to help his friend, not on the basis of friendship, but on the basis of this shameless persistence of knocking on the door until you give me what I need. And he does. That's the situation. That's the scenario. That's the picture. That's the illustration. Now, Jesus doesn't say it explicitly here, but we know that this is to cause us to consider the character of God because in verse 13, Jesus is going to have us do that very thing. He's going to make an illustration with regard to earthly fathers. You're going to say, he's going to say, compare that to your heavenly father. In the same way here, we are to see in the situation that Jesus just illustrated a picture of God's character. Why? Because what Jesus is going to do, he's going to follow up and say, based on that illustration I just gave you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Now, Jesus is not meaning to say that we have to go and bug God until he gets up and does something for us. In the same way that this man in the house had to be bugged and bothered until he would do something. It's a lesser to the greater argument, which is Jesus is going to make clear in verse 13, as we'll see. He doesn't say it explicitly, but the point is here is that if this man is moved by mere persistence, if this sinful man is moved by mere persistence to help him, to help his friend, even though it would be inconvenient to do so, how much more will your heavenly father who loves you, who is lavish in his goodness, get ready to bless you and give you what you need. This sinful man was willing to get up out of his bed. Your perfect, heavenly, kind, gracious father, will he not provide you with everything that you need? Is that not incentive to keep asking? And so that's why Jesus follows that up, follows this, that illustration up with verse nine. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. So here's the point. If persistence moves a sinful man who doesn't want to be inconvenienced to action, how much more will persistence in prayer move a good, kind, gracious, loving, heavenly father to action on our behalf? 
So the first thing we need this morning in order to be encouraged to keep praying is to consider the character of God. He is kind. He is gracious. Keep asking. Keep praying. But secondly, we have to also ponder the nature of Christ's promises. Ponder the nature of Christ's promises. The first thing we need to do is consider the character of God. The second thing we need to do is ponder the nature of Christ's promises. Watch how he interweaves promises with a commandment to ask, to seek. He says, ask and it will be given. That's a promise. Seek and you will find. That's a promise. Knock and it will be open to you. Command, promise, command, promise, command, promise. But not only does he do that, but he then repeats it. In case you didn't hear me the first time, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, in your text, it might just say seek, knock, ask. That's fine. That's a fine translation. But the the verb is actually, the verbal aspect of that word is actually in the present sense, which means what? Continual asking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And he repeats the promise for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be open. Now these should be stunning statements. They are in fact stunning statements. They remind us of other statements that Jesus has made in other statements in the Bible about answers to prayer. Listen to these for a moment. Matthew 21, verses 21 through 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only be do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Let me repeat verse 22. And all things ask in prayer, believing you will receive. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. One of Jesus' uh, disciples said this. 1 John five fourteen through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we, and if we know that he hears and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This promise in Luke 11 and the text I just read you are lavish promises. They should stun us. The problem for a lot of us who are careful and discerning, we know that these kinds of promises have been abused and they've been flipped on their head and they're used for prosperity, gospel preaching, removing these promises out of their biblical context and applying them to say they're completely unqualified. They're like a blank check. You just tell what God what you want, and he is obligated by his promise to give it to you. And so some of us, because of that, we've bumped up against that teaching. We know it's wrong. We know that's not what scripture is teaching. We hesitate to embrace what Jesus is teaching right here. These are stunning, lavish promises that are meant to be taken at their face value in their biblical context to increase the faith of Jesus' followers to ask and keep asking 
to knock and keep knocking, to seek and keep seeking. But it is precisely here that we must place these statements in their biblical context so that we will see that they're not entirely unqualified. They're meant to be lavish. They're meant to stun us. They're meant to encourage us to keep praying. But nevertheless, they're given within a biblical context. And woe to the prosperity teachers who rip them out of their biblical context and claim that this is some sort of unqualified promise that obligates God to give you whatever you ask for. First, let's look here. Notice down in verse uh, 12 and 13, it says, um, or I'm sorry, 11, it says, which father among you, if his son asks for a fish, but instead of a fish gives him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil, how much uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So first of all, we know this is not an unqualified, merely unqualified blank check promise because Jesus is going to compare it to a father giving good gifts to his children. And these good gifts are gifts of provision, gifts of legitimate enjoyment. But that's not the only way we know that this is not an unqualified blank check promise. We know it specifically because what he says in verse 13, let's read it again. If you then who are evil, so if you fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, for those of you who today are here who are consumed with the world, and consumed with the things of the world, verse 13 is a huge letdown to you. In fact, you may have been tracking with me the whole time and maybe even giving amens under your breath because you, until we got to verse 13, because you hoped that Jesus was giving you the green light to pray for that 2018 GMC Sierra or that iPhone 10 with the expectation that God has promised to answer so long as you are persistent in prayer. But it doesn't take a regenerate heart to get excited about the potential that God may answer your prayer for a new truck or a new iPhone. It doesn't take special grace to pray for things like that. In this passage, Jesus expects that his true disciples will happily embrace the promise of verse 13 as the foundational and most important encouragement to keep praying. In ver if verse 13 doesn't excite you, it is unlikely that you will persist in prayer. Or at least not in prayer that God is eager to answer. Why do I say this? Because the promise to answer those who ask, to give to those who seek, to open to those who not to knock is for those who are hungering and thirsting for God-centered, Christ-exalting, holiness-producing, gospel-spreading, sin-killing, good works-creating, people-serving, spiritual blessing. The true disciple exalts with joy inexpressible that God is so willing to pour out and give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him because, and this is our third point, because the true disciple has aligned his will with God's will. That's what we're seeing here in verse 13. 
If you want to turn over to John chapter 15, we'll see how Jesus puts this together. These are lavish promises that we should rejoice over. But they're not unqualified in the sense that they are promises to fulfill all of our desires, carnal or not. Verse 7, Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He says in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. (laughs) Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What's happening here? What's the dynamic? Well, the person who is abiding in Christ and abiding in his word is aligning his will and aligning his affection and aligning his desires to desires desire the things that the Spirit desires. To desire the things that Christ desires. And when you are praying along those lines according to God's will and God's word, he is ready to pour upon you every spiritual blessing to enable you to accomplish his work for his glory. That's what Jesus is teaching in Luke 11. That is what he is teaching in John chapter 15 verses 7 through 8. He is ready and willing and able to lavishly pour upon you every spiritual blessing in order for you to accomplish his will and his work. Now, I do have to ask, you know, I thought I was going to give an encouraging uh, message on pursuing or persisting in prayer, and it would be relatively easy. You walk through this text, you give the illustration, you talk about seeking and asking and knocking, but then you bump up against this phrase here. It says, That Jesus, or that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And then you spend all of Friday trying to figure out what Jesus means by that statement. What does Jesus mean by that statement? And how does it apply to us? Well, you already heard how I've applied it to us. So I've already taken the liberty of jumping ahead a little bit. And applied it, applied it to our situation already. But I want us to see how we get there and not merely jump to exegetical conclusions. What is Jesus talking about when he says that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, to my knowledge, there's no place in the New Testament where we're called elsewhere uh, to ask for the Holy Spirit. So, except for maybe Ephesians 5.18, which says that we are to be filled with the Spirit which possibly I think could imply that it's right to ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So I think that might be legitimate. But it, but we need, to, we need to consider a couple of things. First, we need to consider where we are at in the story. Where are we at in the story of Scripture? Where are we at in the redemptive historical timeline? Well, in Jesus' life, we are just in the thick of his ministry right now, aren't we? And precisely what has not happened is that Jesus has not died... He's not been buried. He's not been raised from the dead. And what happens after Jesus died and is buried and rose from the dead? Well, he ascended to heaven and then he gave what? He gave the Holy Spirit, didn't he? So what I believe is happening here is that Jesus is anticipating the giving, the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that disciples, his disciples will soon receive and enjoy. There's even language here that coincides with much of the language that is discussed in Luke, I mean, sorry, in Acts that Luke wrote. 
So Luke wrote this passage and he wrote Acts and he's going to show us here that Jesus is anticipating that Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit will be given in full measure in Acts, specifically at Pentecost. One of the promises, one of the newnesses of the new covenant would be that the Holy Spirit would dwell in God's people in a way that it never had before. And so Jesus is anticipating that and it's going to happen at Pentecost. So we need to, we need to place ourselves in the right place in this redemptive historical timeline. But secondly, we also have to keep in mind that as believers who are post-cross, post-Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit is what regenerated our hearts, Titus 3, 5. The Holy Spirit is what sealed our hearts at the moment of belief. At the moment we believe the gospel, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit baptized us into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It endowed us with a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And he resides in our hearts by faith, never to leave forever. Amen. Galatians 3. So the Holy Spirit is in us. He dwells in us. So because of that, I don't take this as a statement where we're required to be constantly asking for the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, Jesus here anticipating the gift of the Spirit, it is legitimate to then apply this truth to post-Pentecost believers to encourage us to keep praying in correspondence with the interests and the desires of the Holy Spirit that you can see played out in the book of Acts. They're praying for boldness that the Spirit will give them to preach the gospel. The Spirit is bringing in people to salvation. The Spirit is giving the disciples wisdom to equip and to assign people for ministry. The Spirit is doing a, a mighty work to give this, the, the disciples and the apostles courage and boldness and power in every spiritual gift so that they might carry out the ministry of preaching and teaching and caring for others and loving their neighbors. So this text is to be legitimately applied to believers who are in the post-Pentecost spirit-given, spirit-resides-in-us age and see it as an encouragement to continue to pray, continue to seek, continue to knock according to the interests of the Holy Spirit. What are those interests? Well, we've already mentioned them. God desires for us to pray to him that his glory might fill this church, that the gospel might spread throughout our community, throughout the Bay Area, throughout America, throughout the world, that we would be equipped for ministry, that we would be endowed with power to minister to people in our individual lives. The Spirit desires that we would pray to him, that our eyes would be open to behold wonderful things in his law, God is ready and willing and eager to grant those prayers to those who are praying in faith, believing and asking and seeking and knocking. He is ready to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so for those who are hungering and thirsting for God-centered, Christ-exalting, holiness-producing, 
gospel spreading, sin killing, good works creating, people serving, spiritual blessing. Jesus says your heavenly father is ready to give you every good gift. Now, can we can we pray for our daily provision? Well, of course, of course we can. And of course we should. Jesus says in verse three, give us this day our daily bread. Can we pray for things that we might enjoy? Well, of course, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. And it's legitimate to pray for those things. But in order for our minds to be so sanctified that our desires are in accord with the spirit, we must pray according to and seek to become so immersed and so infused with the word of God Like Jesus says in John chapter 15, and so concerned with bearing fruit that we are praying and asking things that are according to the spirit. The father loves to answer those prayers. Yea, the father wants you to knock down his door with those kinds of prayers. The father is ready to lavish upon you all that you need to glorify his name. It's why you see in the Old Testament so often the saints praying according to God's own name and asking God to act for the sake of his name. God, would you glorify yourself in saving me Would you glorify yourself in providing for me? Would you glorify yourself in exalting your name over my enemies and defeating my enemies on my behalf? Similarly, the father is so ready to pour out every blessing upon those who ask according to the interests and the desires of the spirit. So that's the encouragement today. It's not a discouragement to... Stop asking for your daily provisions. It's not a discouragement to even ask for small things. I heard a testimony early this week for someone who had prayed. They're they're fearful to pray for a small thing that they needed accomplished in their life, a small yet significant thing. And they just they're discouraged because they didn't think that God really cared about those things. Let me just remind you again that Jesus is telling us that God is our father and he cares for those little things. But nevertheless, these promises are for prayers that are infused with and and dependent upon the interests of the spirit that we see laid out later in Acts and in the rest of Scripture. So that's our encouragement today. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. Your father is ready to give good gifts to you. Would you knock down his door and keep praying? Let's pray. Heavenly father, we thank you for this time in your word for the blessing that your word always is we thank you that these promises are so lavish i pray that they would encourage our hearts to keep asking to keep seeking to keep knocking 
Father, I pray that if we are discouraged, that these words from Jesus would encourage us. God, I pray that if there are those here today who find themselves more enthralled with the promise that they can get all of their earthly desires met, would would see that it is so much more pleasing and so much more satisfying to align our will with God's will and to pray according to your word and to the interests of the spirit that your blessing might be showered upon us that we might receive when we ask. God, would you do that work in us? Would you encourage us by these words this morning that we might knock down your door and you might answer our prayers? I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.